my guilty soul imploring for mercy there was great and grace was free pardon there was multiplied my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary now the last stanza Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. Oh, the grace that brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty gulf that God did spend at Calvary. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied. My burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. All right, turn to your neighbor, say that was good singing, and shake three hands before we sing the next song. You may be seated. Turn over to number 223. Nothing but the blood. Number 223. Let's sing it together. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other found I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Sing verse number three. Nothing can for sin atone, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Naught of good that I have done, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my hope and nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my righteousness, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow, no other found I know, nothing but the blood. And right across the page, there's a fountain, there is a fountain filled with blood, drawn from Emmanuel's grave, and sinners plunge me 
Now the last verse. Ever since by faith I saw my flow. Has been my theme and shall be till I die. And shall be till I die. Sixty will be our offertory hymn tonight. Number one hundred sixty, just when I need him most. Let's stand together as we sing. We'll do the first and last stanzas, and ushers, you come on the last stanza. Just when I need him, Jesus is near. Just when I falter, just where I. Ready to help me, ready to cheer, just when I need him most. Just when I need him most, just when I need him most. Jesus is near to comfort and cheer, just when I need him most. Just when I need him, he is my all. Answering when upon him I call. Tenderly watching, lest I should fall. Just when I need him most. Just when I need him most. Just when I need him Jesus is near to comfort and cheer just when I need him most. And let's pray together. Father, we're grateful tonight for the day that we've been here to enjoy worship, to serve you, and I pray that you'll bless our church this evening as we take the offering. We pray that you'll also bless the gift as it goes around the world. We pray that it's genuine. Also pray that you be with Pastor Daniel as he brings the word to us in just a few moments. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
we were looking for places to go, we wanted to go to a place where no one was sharing the gospel. We wanted to go to where there was lostness. This coastline in Mozambique was unreached. Nobody was really focusing on it. No one was starting any churches there. One reason is because it's very difficult to get to. The roads are bad. That's why we use a boat to get to these places. It's definitely in the wild out here. Fishing is the way of life for most of the people that live here. It's a good way for them to support their families, and they have been doing it for generations. And the wild. I often think about how several of the disciples were fishermen, and how once they learned that Jesus is God and believed he rose again, they went out and changed the world. We can do the same by being bold and telling others about Jesus. Today, we're going to take some of the fish we caught to local imam. An imam is a local teacher and leader in the Muslim religion. This fish will help him provide for guests in his home. And it's just one small way we can show him that Jesus loves him and we are his friends. lots of stories in the Bible that prove that Jesus is God's son. We like telling these stories to our friends in the villages because it's a great way to share Jesus and to show them how Jesus loves them. Besides, everyone loves a good story. I'd like to challenge you to tell your friends about Jesus. Start with your favorite Bible story and don't forget, zoom in and focus on Jesus. Jesus here is an assertive young lady. She's probably only 11, 12 years old or so. A young missionary there. But that is, those are, when we give to the IMB and we give to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, we have almost 5,000 Southern Baptist missionaries that serve in all, nearly all the countries on earth. And uh, that's one family there serving in Mozambique. And that just shows that they're bringing their children and they go and they catch just something. One of the challenges with a missionary is when you go overseas, you have very limited resources. Because you get there and you, you don't have the resources of a church building like this. So a lot of your ministry is you're just you're working with simple things such as catching fish and building relationships with people and giving it to them. So that's very encouraging to see that they're going um, uh, building friendships with uh, the Muslim leaders there, the Amman. Uh, just showing to him that they, in the, in the, with Jesus' love. So that's very, very encouraging video there. If you have your Bible, turn to Acts. almost said Exodus. <laughs> that was been on Wednesday night. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verses 14 through 47. This here is one of the most famous sermons in the Bible. This is Peter's Pentecost sermon. When the Holy Spirit came down, people thought they were drunk. It was 9 o'clock in the morning. So if you ever wonder what time should you go to church, what time? 9 o'clock in the morning, because that is what time Peter stood up and preached. I see some of y'all shaking your head. But they, it was 9 o'clock in the morning is when the Holy Spirit came down and filled that upper room right there. And, um, and they, thought as they thought the folks were drunk. And Peter's going to stand up, 
and preach a sermon. So that's what we're going to go through tonight. We're going to see this, and it's really th- it's three parts here. It's kind of a, it's a lot of scripture. We're going to see the contents of the sermon. Then we're going to see this invitation to repentance. Now, this is something that a lot of churches, a lot of Christians, us, we struggle with. When you go and tell someone about Jesus, and you go and then you boldly proclaim the gospel, you always need to give an opportunity for them to respond. That's when we have an invitation, or you need to tell someone, say, hey, come talk to me, or your folks, your friends, hey, I'd love to talk to you about this, but we've been sharing about, because a lot of folks, they just, they don't know. They're hearing about, and we're going to actually see that. I think we we see a pattern here developed in Acts chapter 2 that really we continue even today with that. Um, so not only that, we're going to see the, res- the pattern of responding. We're also going to see what a New Testament church looks like, a giving and a growing church. Churches should be growing. I was talking to someone, um, and I believe I shared this on Wednesday night, uh, two weeks ago. And they were telling me that their VBS, we never can take people for granted. They were telling me that their Bible school had declined, basically a 30, you know, one-third percent, 33 percent from just a few years ago. And they were wondering, wondering why. And they, you know, they were asking you know, questions to me and other folks, but... <clears throat> numbers, you can get caught up in numbers, but we always have to remember numbers represent people, and people matter to God. And numbers matter to God because these are souls who Jesus died for. Yes, we're not all about numbers. We're all about the people, and people make up numbers. So that's why numbers are in And we're going to see here in Acts chapter 2, when we go through this, their church, this church at Pentecost, it was being, it was growing Daily, God was bringing people to this church and they were getting saved. The numbers were increasing. God's plan for Bible believing churches that believe and hold true to the scriptures and his purpose is for them to grow. Now, for us in our church, we want to be a Bible centered church and this never changes. It never changes. But the mode, these things right here are what change. The mode, the, the, the stuff is what changes, but the message never does. And you always have to be able to say, okay, you know, are, are we caught up, are we focusing on things that don't really matter? What matters? The gospel, Jesus. And that's what changes people's lives. So that's what we're going to see here. Three different sections here. Acts chapter 2, verse 14. This is Peter's sermon right after Pentecost. Peter stood up with the 11. So it's 9 o'clock in the morning. They think they're drunk. Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice, and proclaimed to them, Fellow Jews and all of you residents of Jerusalem, let me explain this to you and pay attention to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only 9 in the morning. So they're at church at 9 a.m. On the contrary, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. This is a prophecy here from Joel chapter 2. And it will be in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all people. Then your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. 
I will even pour out my spirit on my servants those days, both men and women, and they will prophesy. I will display wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and a cloud of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord comes. Now, before, let's stop and look at this. Now you're saying, Dan, all this didn't happen. This prophecy in Joel here, too, is not only is it about the uh, coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, it's also about the second coming of Jesus Christ. We know that the great and glorious day before the Lord comes, now it's going even to, it hasn't come true yet. Jesus will soon come. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Any person can be saved. Everybody who calls upon the Lord will be saved. God's, God's, not, God's arm is not too short to save folks. So he, what he's doing, I want you to explain, I want you to understand this. The people there in Jerusalem, remember they're in, they're in Jerusalem from all over the area for this feast called Pentecost. And all of a sudden, these tongues come and fire comes down and the people start speaking in these unknown languages. And the people are thinking there, they're hearing it in their own language, they're thinking, what's going on? So Peter stands up and he explains the scripture. What's powerful about this, in this sermon, what is a sermon? A sermon is when you take the scriptures, the Bible, and you expound on it. Have you ever gone to a worship service or a supposed church service and they preached a sermon and there was no Bible? There was no scripture? Or they use what you call the launching pad where they read one or two verses and they take the scripture and they set it down right there. And then they go over here and talk about something for 30 or 40 minutes. It has nothing to do with what you just read. This is what we call ex expository preaching, where the Bible, what Peter's doing, he's taking the Old Testament scriptures and he's explaining them to the people. This is what should be done in every church service. It's what we do in Sunday school. It's what you should be doing in Wednesday night Bible study. You're taking the scriptures and you're explaining them to listeners. That is, that is what we call Christian preaching. That's what Peter's doing right here. The problem with this is, this is biblical, so it's not a problem. There, there is a problem with it. People who do not go to church, people who do not read their Bible, people that don't know how to sit, who've never really even sat through a sermon before and are very media-driven that this is their life, these things, and on their hands, when you, take, when you all of a sudden take someone and you set them in a pew and you're expounding God's Word and they never read, like they never hold a book, they never read their Bible, they struggle with following along. And that's why it's important for folks to actually use their Bible and read from their Bible so that they know this is God's Word, it speaks to me. Someone that's not regularly in God's Word, that's not used to hearing and the reading of God's Word, they will struggle when they hear God's Word. Do you remember this morning in Luke 14, 35? Let him, how, how that verse ended, what Jesus said, let him who has ears hear. 
Do you know why Jesus said that? Because there's a lot of people out there who have ears, obviously, and they're not hearing. They don't know how to hear. They do not know how to listen for God. They can listen to everything else and listen to the TV and listen to their social media, but they cannot hear from God. One of, the, one of the signs of Christian maturity and growing in your faith is learning how to hear from the Lord. And that's what Peter's doing. He's taking Joel chapter 2, and he's explaining it away, saying this is prophecy that's being fulfilled. Many of you are like, Daniel, this is so simple. But I want you all to know, there's a generation coming up. That's, they, they don't know how to listen to sermons. They don't. Zach, Zach and I have spoke before. On Wednesday night, he has like six minutes. <laughs> That's their attention span, literally. You have six minutes, and then they're checked out. Do you know I have a friend? He's a youth pastor. And what happens, and he was explaining to me. He's in Canada, actually. And he was, he was sharing that every. 12 minutes, he has to stop. And you know what they have to do? They have to take a break for five or six minutes. Say, so what are they doing youth groups and taking a break? They have to check their phone. Like literally, because what happens to folks is they get, young folks, they get antsy. They're like, man, it's been 12, 13 minutes, and I haven't, what if I've missed something? What if I've gotten a notification or update? So he has to stop. We take a break. Check your devices. See what's going on. Do your business. Then put them back up, and we resume. And I want to tell you, that has radically changed. God's blessed that youth group. It's growing. The kids like it because they don't have to put their phone up for like an hour. They get to check it every 12 minutes. We laugh at that stuff, but the reason why is because you have an entire generation that they've never heard God's word. So this is why it's what's important here. We're hearing God. Peter's explaining Joel 2. Now, verse 22. Fellow Israelites, listen to these words. Look at that. Listen. Look at the emphasis. Peter's just pounding the people, saying, look, guys, listen to this. Hear what the Lord's saying. This Jesus of Nazareth was a man attested to you by God with miracles, wondering and signs that God did among you through him. Just as you yourselves know, Though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you used lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. God raised him up, ending the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by death. Just as David says of him, so now we see a prophecy here out of Psalm 16. This is David saying, I saw the Lord ever before me, Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. Moreover, my flesh will rest in hope because you will not abandon me in Hades. Hades is another place. We've studied this on Wednesday nights. Say, Dan, where's Hades? Hades in the Old Testament represents the place of the dead. So it's where you go where you die. It's also used in Scripture as a reference to hell. So it's, an inter, it's been used in multiple contexts. When folks die, they go to Hades. That's what, that's what David's saying here. Don't abandon me in Hades. 
But also, and we see in the New Testament, Hades, it's used as a place of describing that separation from God. In the Old Testament, the doctrine of hell wasn't as developed as the New Testament. Remember, in the Old Testament, the way you're saved is if God declares you as righteous. You're lost, and if you are, you're, you, you're righteous and you follow the Lord, that's why from last son, two Sunday sermons ago where God looked down at Abraham and he declared him as righteous, that's what made him saved for Abraham. So that's what the word Hades means there. It's, it's a reference uh, to hell as well as the place of the dead. Or allow your Holy One to see decay. You have revealed the path of life to me, and you will fill me with gladness in your presence. Going back to Hades here, this is real important, because if you ever meet folks, and they tell you they don't believe in hell, and they'll say, well, in the Bible, the word Hades doesn't mean hell. It means the place of the dead. It's where people go who die. It's not a place of eternal punishment. In the New Testament, Jesus used the word Gehenna, which was the trash dump outside of Jerusalem to describe hell. Right outside Jerusalem is where everybody threw their garbage and it was always burning. And Jesus described hell as a trash dump. One of the reasons a lot of folks will say they don't believe in hell is because of the use of Hades. They're saying it's just people just go and just go wherever they, they die. But we see in the New Testament, Jesus is very clear. There is a place of torment. There is a place of separation from God that's an eternal fire that the flame will never be quenched. And that's what Jesus called Gehenna. Verse 29, brothers and sisters, I can confidently speak to you about the patriarch David. He is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Since he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn an oath to him, to the one seated, one of his to seat one of his descendants on the throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke concerning the resurrection of the Messiah. He was not abandoned in Hades, and his flesh did not experience decay. So, you say, Dan, I don't understand why they keep talking about Hades here. Why does this keep coming up? And why are they do references to Jesus? What he's talking about here, he's not saying Jesus went to hell. He's saying Jesus died. And we know, the scriptures tell us that when Jesus died, he went to heaven to be with his father for three days. And then he came back via the resurrection. He was resurrected. The word Hades means here, he died. He went to the place of the dead, where dead people go. In his body, it didn't, it didn't experience decay. God has raised this Jesus. We are all witnesses of this. Therefore, since he has been exalted to the right hand of God and has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured out what you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into the heavens, but he himself said, The Lord declared to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And here's another prophecy here. Out of This is in Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord declared to my Lord. David is saying, The Lord, <coughs> meaning God, declared to 
or, or the Lord Jesus declared to, or God declared to Jesus, sit at my right hand. So God is telling Jesus, we have two different lords we're seeing here, saying, you're going to sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So what's happening here is Peter's taking these verses and saying, these verses here in Psalms, it's so clear that this is a reference here to Jesus. Who's Peter preaching about? He's preaching about Jesus. He's pointing people to the Messiah. When we talk to folks about the Lord, we have to turn that conversation somehow towards Christ. And then look what here. Verse 36. We're wrapping up the sermon. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Pentecost, this entire sermon, and what's going on here, it was based on a pro- it was based on a promise. And what we see here, what does Pentecost mean? It says here in your bulletin insert, the prophecy's been fulfilled. God's plan and purpose was to send the Holy Spirit for us today, even. The last days have gone. We now live in the last days. We might not live like it's the last days, but we know for confident that this, these are the last days. Any, everyone can know God intimately and should make Him known faithfully. Meaning, we, because of the Holy Spirit, we can come into a personal, saving relationship with Christ. And not only that, Jesus has ascended to the throne. He's in heaven with the Lord right now. Now, what's happened here is the point of this sermon is to reveal to all the listeners about how much they need to know Christ and from the Old Testament that it's pointing to Christ. So what happened, Peter knew his audience. Peter's preaching to Jews. So what he's doing is his his context, he's taking the Old Testament scriptures, saying, I know all of you know the book of Psalms and you know your Bibles. I'm going to show you in the Psalms how all this is a fulfillment about Jesus. It's the context he's talking about. For us today, our context in 2019, we have the exact same message. The message is Jesus, but we put it and we package it in a context that's different. This context here would be completely foreign to Jewish understanding. The way what they're doing is, he is he's standing around there at Jerusalem, an open air area, and he's boldly proclaiming to these men about the scriptures. No microphone, and they're all right there listening to him. So look what happens here. Second part of this sermon. Now this is the part that we focus on mightily. This is what happens. The folks, they are have heard this, and look at verse 37. When they heard this, they just heard a sermon on Jesus. Look at this. They were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? They were pierced to the heart. That phrase there, pierced to the heart, that meant they fell under conviction. That that, That meant God spoke to them, and they needed to respond. Pierced to the heart. How are people pierced to the heart today? God's word pierces people. Peter knew his Bible 
he shared Old Testament scripture and said, this is Jesus who's the one you crucified. He was actually Messiah. You've been, guys, y'all been waiting for the Messiah. You just killed him. You didn't realize it. You, you missed out. And they were under great conviction. And they asked that question. Brothers, what should we do? Meaning, I know I need to respond. I'm guilty for killing Jesus. I'm responsible for my sin. What do I do? This is the question everybody's asking today. What do I do? How do I receive peace? And I want to tell you, a lot of folks are finding the answer to this at the pharmacy, at the doctor's office, at the therapist's office, through yoga. They're finding it through uh, the gym. Anything they can do to try to health, wellness, uh, uh, Amazon Prime Day, let's go shopping all the time. Anything you can do that will make you happy, that is what folks are doing. This question is foundational. Brothers, what do we do? And if we can't answer, if you and I can't answer this question, we don't have a message. Because what he's saying here is, all these folks are asking this. What do I do? So, so Jesus is the Messiah. Well, well, what do I do? Now, let's answer it. Here's what we do. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We're going to focus on this verse right here. Peter called these people that did not know what to do. He didn't tell them to go shopping. He didn't tell them to go watch a baseball game. He didn't tell them that they need to go to the doctor or get some medicine. He told them, he called them to repentance. He says, guys, you need to repent. Meaning you need to turn from sin. You need to stop living, stop living a sinful life. Today, what that is, you go up to an unchurched person, you tell them repent. They don't even know, they don't even know what the word repent means. You have to tell them, this is 2019 talk to somebody who's unchurched. You say, sir, ma'am, you're living a selfish life. You're doing things that are wrong. You're doing things that God considers immoral. These would be the words we would use today. You talk to a younger a millennial or young Gen Y and tell them to repent. They do not know. An unchurched person has no idea what repent of what. You have to convince them and point to them that their life is separated and far from God. And you're calling people to turn away from their sin and and get baptized. Say, but Daniel, baptism doesn't save you. In the Bible, baptism doesn't save you, but New Testament believers, remember the only New Testament believer who was never baptized was the thief on the cross, and he was nailed to a cross, and he couldn't get baptized. When someone gets saved, these waters here should be stirred. Folks should be receiving believer's baptism. Baptism is your old self going under and your new self coming up. If you aren't baptized, you are living in disobedience to the Lord. He says, well... Why do I need to be baptized? He says, you don't get group baptized. You're baptized, each of you. You're baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Because you're saying, I have 
Lord, I have sinned and I'm receiving your forgiveness. And I'm going to display that through my baptism. These folks Peter's preaching to, he's calling them to turn from their sin, turn to the Lord, and turn to believers' baptism. Peter's given an invitation. He's given a 2019 invitation. And this says, then, when you make that decision to follow Jesus, you will receive this gift right here. The Holy Spirit is a gift. When you get saved, you get the gift. Christ comes into your life through the Holy Spirit and you're a new creation. You're completely different. So our message that we communicate to folks is we're calling people to repent and be baptized. Everything we do at this church, we have to constantly point people towards that. Um, Elizabeth's going to a, um, a, a, we had a, a camp meeting today at 5 downstairs in Miss Sherry Lyons for children's camp, which is in a week and a half. And Miss Sherry was even sharing down there that they, they will have a, a guest pastor who will be preaching the word of God. They'll have an opportunity to respond, and they need to bring their Bible. We'll say, why do they need to do that? Why? Because Christ calls us to that. Whether we're at church or we're at camp or we're at work, the message is the same. People can get saved anywhere. Jesus or Peter's standing around. He's not even at church when he's sharing this. He's just got a big group of folks, and he's calling them to repentance. Next verse here, verse 39. For the promise is for you and your children and all those who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Meaning this promise, the Holy Spirit, and the promise that we can get saved it's not just for the folks here, it's for everybody, even those who are far off, meaning centuries later. God calls people to repentance. God knows ultimately how many folks will get saved. Now look at this, verse 40. With many other words he testified and strongly urged them, saying, this is a message for today, be saved from this corrupt generation. Do you know, we always look back and think, man, just things were so much better in the 40s and 50s. Those were the good old days. Do you know, 2,000 years ago, were the same problems. Peter is preaching, be saved from this generation. There was corruption that was leading people far from God. And he's calling them out of that. He's calling the people, we are saved from a corrupted generation. This is a message for us today. Now look at the response here. So those who accepted his message were baptized. And on that day, about 3,000 people were added to them. 3,000 folks were saved and baptized at Pentecost. Now, we don't know if they were all baptized right then that day, because he's preaching the sermon at 9 in the morning. They could have all been baptized, or they could have been baptized over the days ahead, over a period. But there was a huge response to Peter's message. 3,000 people were added to them. Meaning that church had just exploded. Remember, he's, he's talking. It started out, we know from Acts chapter 1, there was 120 of them in Acts chapter 1. By Acts chapter 2, there's 3,120 people in just a matter of days. 
Christianity is on fire at this point. And what's happening here is God is reminding us that people still accept the message. People should still be getting baptized. And even thousands of folks can respond to the gospel. Whether it's here in Lexington or on the video there at Mozambique, folks should be responding to the Lord. I want to look at this verse here. Guys, I think a lot of us, I think we've given up on this. Those who accepted his message. Are we seeing a lot of people accept the message of of Jesus? What does that look like? It looks like when people repent, believe, and get baptized. We have the same Holy Spirit. We have the same God. There is no reason 3,000 people couldn't be added to them. No reason. You know, I shared about it a few months ago, but um, I took the children up to a um, parish that, um, anyway, it was where the Second Great Awakening was. It's right up, right up the road here. A few months ago, it's at uh, Cane Ridge Meeting House. That's where it's at. The Cane Ridge Meeting House. Do you know over 3,000, 5,000 folks were saved? I think it was in eight days. They basically had a Pentecost 200 years ago. It was. It was in the early 1800s. It was 1801. They had that type of movement occur. And there was not a lot of folks in Kentucky at that point. This was, the, this was the pioneer land. And what happened is we still have the same Bible, the same Holy Spirit, the same God. And that little log cabin is still there. Now, obviously, churches have greatly changed since then. But there is no reason that we shouldn't believe people still can't accept the message. When we, are, when we believe the word of God and we're bold in our faith, people will respond and the Lord will add many folks. You know, one of the pro- challenges we live in is folks just, they, uh, they're becoming more antisocial. Let me give you an example. I read the newspaper and I was reading about Uber. I've never used Uber, but Uber is a uh, ride share where you use your little phone and pay a few dollars and a car comes and you hop in and ride around. Well, they have now introduced this past week something called quiet mode. Apparently, if you take Uber, and I never have, the driver might, heaven forbid, might talk to you. And you don't want people to talk to you. So you can pay like three or four dollars extra and get quiet mode. It's a luxury service where you're paying. This is a true story. People want this and they'll use it. So, like, you say my ride home might be $10. Well, I'm paying 14 bucks, and the guy will not say a word. All he does is, sir, here's your bag, and then that's it. And then if he does break his rule, you get a refund on your money. <laughs> this is no joke. It's called quiet mode Uber. Now, the pr- challenge of this is I know folks have be- become Uber drivers or use Uber actually tell folks about Jesus. One of the ways the devil is really, 
isolating people from hearing the gospel is just folks don't talk to people anymore. You, you can actually pay to have someone not speak to you in a car that you're riding in because you don't want to be bothered. You want to be left alone. But the Bible tells us Peter was bold. He spoke up and he boldly proclaimed, even when people want to be left alone, even when people don't want to hear about Jesus, they don't realize it. Their greatest need, no matter if they realize it or not, is actually Jesus. It's actually they need to be saved. And folks can go and isolate themselves. They can pay for the quiet mode. But we as believers, we still have a responsibility of communicating the gospel to people who don't want to hear it. Because I'm sure there was a lot of people who came to Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. They weren't there to hear a message about Jesus. They came for Pentecost, and next thing you know, they're watching some guy named Peter stand up and proclaim that Jesus is the Messiah. That's not what they came for. They came for something, and they got something else. God did a bait and switch on them. They were coming to observe a, a Jewish festival, and now they're hearing about Jesus. And Peter is bold in that proclamation. And I think the principle for us, even when we live in a culture that doesn't want to hear it, guys, we can't back down. You just can't say, well, that, I don't want to bother anybody. I want to be quiet. Listen, we can't allow quietness or just allow people to go into hell, separate from God, and be impolite about it. God doesn't call us to be polite and kind. He calls us to be bold in our faith. And that's what we see here with Peter. Last section we're going to see here. This is what happens. When you are boldly proclaiming the gospel, you get a verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. That's four things here we see. When they came to church, this is a New Testament church. Teaching, that's what I'm doing right now. Fellowship, we have lots of fellowship here at Broadway Baptist Church. You should have close friends at this church. You should make people feel welcome. You should be neat. God's bringing new faces here at both services, all three services on Sunday. And not only that, the breaking bread, they observe the Lord's Supper. Next Sunday, the morning services, we have the Lord's Supper. Why is the Lord's Supper important? It reminded us what Jesus did on the cross. The Lord's Supper is a testimony to what he did and to prayer. You say, what does a church service look like? It looks like this. That's a New Testament church. Teaching, preaching, fellowship, that's friends, that's the fellowship of the believers, the uh, breaking of bread, the Lord's Supper, and obviously praying, spending time in prayer, praying for folks. Say, what do I pray for? Uh, Voice of Praise is coming uh, Friday. They're leaving on a tour. It's basically a mission trip. They're going to Oklahoma, singing in numerous different churches. You could be praying as they boldly proclaim the gospel that folks get saved, that they respond, that they hear about it. I've been to a Voice of Praise concert. David lets them know the gospel. He lets them know, if you want to respond, if you want to get saved, you come talk to your pastor. They, they, they love to talk to you about a relationship with Jesus. That, that's something to pray for. How exciting would it be? Two weeks from tonight, we have the Voice of Praise concert for him to stand up and give a great report 
of a great revival and great harvest that occurred out of Oklahoma from Voice of Praise, which is our touring singing group here. That's, that's what we see in the New Testament church. Keep going here, verse 43. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and all held things in common. They had a real sense of unity. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day, look at this, they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. That's a pattern we see there. Where did folks meet? They went to church, they went to the temple, and they also went to house. Those are two places you should be able to teach and instruct people about the Lord. You come to church, you learn about the Lord. In your home, you should be able to instruct other people about the Lord. Might not be able to do it at University of Kentucky. You might not be able to do it at work, but you should be able to tell folks about the Lord at your house and also at church because they certainly did that. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts. Obviously, you can't miss that line. They had food at church. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Now, look at this. Do not miss this. You, can you only get saved on a Sunday? Can you only give your, give your life to Christ during an invitation at church? Every day, the Lord added. Did Peter add? Did the apostles add? No. God brings the harvest. If you don't feel like we're having a great harvest, pray to the Lord of the harvest, God. Say, God, bring the harvest here to Broadway. We want to see a harvest. The Lord added to their number those who were being saved. God brought people to Jesus through these folks. They were devoted to him daily. When you were devoted through prayer, through the teaching and preaching of God's word, through friendship and unifying with the Lord's Supper, they were remembering Jesus, God blessed those efforts. So, up here on the screen, in your little bulletin, we're going to close on this. A vibrant church and a vibrant believer in 2019. What does it look like? If you want to be a, a part of a believer and part of a church, Number one, it has to be biblical. Everything we do has to be centered on, centered on Scripture. Do you know for a lot of churches, a lot of Christians, that's very hard. It's, it can be challenging to be biblical. It's ne- it will never be popular following the Bible. The Bible is a stumbling block. It's offensive. It tells you you're a sinner. It tells you your greatest need. But vibrancy, God works through Scripture. He fulfills scripture. Number two, worship. We, you should be meeting regularly to worship the Lord. I'm fortunate our church has Sunday night church. We're blessed to be able to come and worship. Somebody can't make it in the morning, they come Sunday night. We're fortunate folks can go online and worship as well. If you're out of town or you're sick, you can still worship even online. Accountable. God holds us accountable. This is where Sunday school, this is where we're in a small group. If you're not accountable, you will fall. What this means is, if you don't have a strong Sunday school group and a strong network, what will happen is, going to church is a habit. And you'll get out of that habit. Satan will make sure you're busy and distracted and get you out of that habit. 
And next thing you know, it's been a month, two months, a year, and you've fallen away. And nobody's, no, you've just fallen through the cracks. That's the danger of coming into a church service, sitting on the back pew, and then running out the door, and that's it. There's no accountability of that. And knowing that, a vibrant church and a vibrant believer has outreach. And what that is, is the gospel here, they are constantly pushing forward, constantly reaching one more. The gospel, Jesus died. Peter made it clear. He died for everyone. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, he said, will be saved. That's how Joel chapter 2. If you want to be a believer, God's going to hold you accountable in these areas. Bible believing, you go to worship, you're accountable to other believers, and you're doing outreach. All four of those are a must. If you struggle in these areas, you will, you will be, you'll struggle and you'll have a weak Christian witness. Because I want to tell you, some of these, for some of us, they're easier than others. If you're not an outgoing person, doing outreach, talking about Jesus, that could be challenging. If you're very reserved, Having accountability in your life, you might not open up to other folks. And some folks, if you're not, if you're not engaged in your in daily in the Bible, why why would you want to come to a worship service and hear it boldly proclaimed on a Sunday? All of these are intertwined together. And if you want vibrancy, if you want to be a New Testament believer here in Acts chapter two, Christ is calling you. To daily, God added to their numbers who were being saved, meaning the church was alive. Christ is asking you tonight, is this you? Are you this person here? When you read about Acts chapter 2 and about what they their worship style looked like, is that what you look like today? Are you the guy that stands up and says, what must we do to be saved? How do we respond? And we, we need, or the Peters that stand up and say, you need to repent and be baptized and follow the Lord. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. and We're going to have our invitation for us to respond to Jesus. God, we know your word de- declares to us right here. It says in verse 37, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. Lord, we pray that you take these words that were shared from your word and that you speaking through me, that it pierces people's hearts. God, I know there's a lot of folks here that have burdens. There are a lot of those folks among the 3,000. They didn't come to hear a sermon about Jesus, but they got one. Lord, I pray that we will be among those 3,000 saved. What started at Pentecost continues on today. I pray that we will be bold, even when people don't want to hear it. Lord, we proclaim your word. We are a Bible-believing body that's boldly proclaiming the gospel. I thank you that we have the gift of the Holy Spirit. Lord, it's been given to us as believers. And God, I pray if there's anybody here, 
that has never received the gift of the Holy Spirit, this invitation will not pass without them responding. Lord, give us this same passion and desire that Peter and the other apostles had. Lord, stir our hearts to respond to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're, we close every single worship service with an invitation. I invite everyone to stand. As always, I'll be standing down front waiting for you to respond. You can respond and come speak to me about your decision you feel led to make. Let's sing, I have decided. I have decided to follow I have decided, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. Though none go with me, I still will follow, though none go with me, I still will follow. Though none go with me, I still will follow. No turning back, no turning back. Thank you, David. Thank you so much. I want to remind everybody, this coming Wednesday, we're starting our Social Justice Wednesday night Bible study series for six weeks. We will be studying racism. So that's going to be the topic we're going to be studying. I want you to come, come bring your Bible. We'll be meeting at 6.30 downstairs, Lois, in the Fellowship Hall. So that's the next time we'll have our Bible study with that. Also, remember, next Sunday night, we have our, um, our business meeting after the evening worship service. So right following this service next Sunday, maybe I'll have to end a little early, we'll go into our business meeting, that, our bi-monthly business meeting that we certainly have. So that's, and then two weeks from tonight, we have our, our Voice of Praise concert. So that's the next uh, two weeks here, or actually three weeks from tonight. I'll go ahead and give you all the schedule. Three weeks from tonight, I'll be in Hilton Head Island, South Carolina, and Zach Bauer will be preaching. Four weeks from tonight, we have our back-to-school bash for all the children. So that's our schedule the next four weeks. So that can you all remember all that? So that's our, su- Sherry said no, that's our Sunday night schedule here. So that, so, so. All right, we're going to sing Leaning on the Everlasting Arms, just the chorus. Here we go. Leaning. Leaning, safe and secure from all alarm. Leaning.